0: Welcome to the Spirit of Success, a podcast hosting honest conversations for people who want to show up and work in life to create their own limitless realities. Each week, we deliver spiritual inspiration from real people, sharing their stories about authentic living from the road less traveled. Now here's your host, Dr. Tracy Debbie.
1: Hello and welcome to a new episode of Spirit of Success, the podcast. I am your host, Dr. Tracy Debbie, and I'm so excited for you to hear this episode this week with my friend Jennifer Singh, who is such an awesome human being. She worked in um, television. Actually, she started off as a journalist and then her heart was really set on working in the television industry on screen, obviously. And uh, I remember seeing her on CP24, which is our like, all day news channel in Toronto. Um, Years ago, I remember seeing her there. And so it was so cool to interview her and talk about what what is it like to really work in the media? I mean, I have so many questions um, just on that type of environment you guys have heard me talk about on the show before. I don't watch the news anymore for certain reasons. So I was really curious to hear from her what it was like working in that industry. And she has friends who are currently working in that same industry now. And we also talk about what it's like to be a woman of color and an Entrepreneur. We're in different industries, but I think it's really important to talk about that. And we also touch on things like representation, and what that means to see somebody who looks like you, and what it what it means to not see someone who looks like you and dealing with challenges of, you know, racism in different parts of North America and what that's like and what that does to you and what challenges that we have to face and overcome. And ultimately I think we're both grateful for them and it's really about learning to love yourself at the end of the day. But yeah, I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Lots of behind the scenes things and um, yeah, lots of nuggets that I think you'll be able to apply in your life. So please enjoy the episode. welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today. So excited to be here. How are you doing? I am doing great. How is life? Are you on the east end of the city? I am in the
0: west end of the GTA. West end. Okay, cool. How's the west end? (laughs) (laughs) West coast,
1: best one.
0: (laughs) Pretty much in lockdown like the rest of Ontario right now. I work from home, so I honestly hasn't really changed much in the last year. Uh, we don't go out. We don't see people. We're trying to stay safe and as isolated. Our kids have been home since last year.
1: Mm, so they haven't like gone back to school, and then nope, yeah. And I was gonna say we didn't have. I know some other counties or whatever got to go back to like the like gym and experience that stuff, and now they're also in this lockdown with us. And it's like, well, we never got to experience that. So I'm in ignorant bliss right now because <laughs> nothing has changed, which in odd way has actually been a little bit better. <laughs> you know what? I had a random flashback because I was thinking about you because I was getting ready for this right, and I had a random flashback of seeing you on TV. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> I used to watch CP24 all the time, basically nonstop. It was just always on. And so I remember seeing you there. I don't know if that makes sense to you.
0: Yeah. I mean, I went down in my living room and I saw myself on CP24. We have recordings from 2014. And for fun, my kids just like to watch it. Oh my God, they were watching you. <laughs> Yeah, I went downstairs and I said to my husband, what on earth is going on here? So there used to be this thing on CP24, if you remember, Dance Party Friday. Yeah. And the thing that was so awkward about that, I'll give you a little bit of the insights. So I yeah. was working for Go Transit, Go Transit which is Metrolinks. I wasn't actually in the CP24 building. So like seven in the morning, expected to dance while there's people coming in for work. It was so awkward you know, I'm West Indian, and that's clearly not how I dance in real life. Uh, So there were so many awkward things about the music they chose, about the fact that there's people, you know, coming in to sit at a desk and hop on phones. And I'm literally was in this little makeshift studio in the corner of a call center.
1: Could you actually hear the song that like they're playing?
0: Yeah, because I had to be uh, okay. patched in, yeah. Right, I was patched in the whole time. So okay, because
1: yeah. I because I was always wondering. I'm like, can you hear it like in real <laughs> time? That's
0: why my my dance moves <laughs> were so off, and I was so <laughs> not into the music that was being played. I think one time they played, you know, Caravana. They would obviously play West Indian music, right? But they play hot hot hot
1: because that's the one everyone knows yeah
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) everyone knows right
1: so that's so funny I was I was at this flower workshop with this guy who's on CB24 sometimes and he was saying that one time on a dance party Friday they asked him to like do it because he was like the like segment before but he's like I couldn't hear so I was just, they were like dance. And I was like, okay, dance monkey. And he just started dancing. And so I didn't know if that was like a him thing or like, oh, and everybody thing. But clearly maybe we should tell people, or maybe you should tell people your background because they don't know what CB24 is because this is global. So CB24 is like our all news channel. that's basically on 24 hours a day, but maybe you can tell us your like background in media.
0: Yeah. So I started in media in 2000, in TV media in 2000 and I would say five maybe. But prior to that, I had started in 1999 working. Well, I was working in TV since 1999. And I started in an internship at CTV in Toronto and uh, was really passionate about journalism and went in the direction of print media. So I did a lot of stuff in the Toronto Star, Hamilton uh, Spectator, Kitchener Waterloo record. But I really actually wanted to be in TV. But I was never thought I was good enough. And I was told I wasn't good enough over and over again. Right. So I kind By of other people, of, of course, all the time. That's kind of the industry, right? You're told constantly you're not good enough they're always comparing you to the next person. Think about it like the acting industry on a smaller scale. Like you're always trying to compare yourself to the next person next to you. And your bosses for the most part are telling you you're not good enough. And that was pretty much the first part of my career. And I thought that it was just me, but that is the industry. And that's kind of what you, what you, what you face and what you go through. Is Um, any
1: part of that healthy, like just to make you better, or is it all kind of pretty much unhealthy?
0: I mean, I think there's truth to some of it, but the problem is there, you know, I was very green when I started clearly because I didn't have enough experience, but I think the key is to have mentors in the industry that see the potential and are willing to work with you to help develop the potential. So, you know, as a 20 something year old, if you don't have a lot of confidence, it could take a hit to your confidence. That's already not there. That was my situation. I persisted though. I moved across the country. I moved to New Brunswick, moved to Halifax. I was doing Wow,
1: that is literally across. Yeah, okay.
0: Yeah. You know, did internships out there. I worked for a media outlet out there, Global News, um, in St. John, New Brunswick. And I came back to the city and it was the whole journey of when you're in journalism and you're really young and green, they tell you, go out, get your experience, make your mistakes and come back into the city. And when I came back into the city, I realized it wasn't what I wanted to do. And I was at CBC for a little while. Um, I've been and also there's tons of layoffs in the industry. I think I got laid off like three or four times. And I transitioned out of CBC to my last position on air, which was at CP24, which was great. It was live, great exposure. Um, I was doing traffic. I was not doing or transit. I wasn't doing the hard news murder stories that I was used to doing, which I was grateful for. But I was also waking up at 4.15 every morning. I did that for five years. Sucked the life out of me. So I'll tell you right now, I woke up at 8.30 today. I regularly wake up at 8.30. I am not an early riser anymore. I was for so many years. But yeah, and my kids also are on a little bit, bit of a later schedule. So it set me up for where I am now and what I'm doing now
1: can I ask you a question? Cause you, you brought up something and it sparked this thought. You said that you were talking about um, transit and not like death murder stories that you were, you were used to. I've noticed, and I'll just tell you my experience being a viewer of CB24. I used to always watch it and I don't really know why, to be quite honest with you, but I I remember feeling like I would go to bed with it on and all of a sudden wake up and have like anxiety attacks or like panic attacks because i was like oh my god i'm all of a sudden worried about gun violence and like the murder rate in the city but like i'm those are not things i like normally think of so i was just wondering you being on the inside like what is that like like do you take those stories on are you do you create
0: boundaries where it's just something you talk about but not something you take on so It's like going to war every day. You wake up in the morning and the thing is with your perspective, you're actually looking for a problem. If you don't have a problem, you don't have a story. So you wake up with that negative focus. So when I say murder stories, I mean, I was in situations that I hated where I was, you know, somebody was murdered or shot or killed or something. And I'd be like, okay, go to their family and get a clip like stick a mic in the mother's face and get a clip. And, you know, how's your, how's your son feeling? So that can wear on you over time. I, I would say it definitely can cause anxiety because you feel like, oh, shit can happen any second of the day. Yeah.
1: And then you report on it, then you yeah. get the details.
0: <laughs> and I think like when we think about the the current times, I think of, it's, it's kind of a weird thing when you're in journalism the exhilaration of the get is also there. So I was also really good at getting exclusives. I get like everybody to open up with me. Was it doesn't matter who it is. Do you remember there's a random story, a balloon boy story where this dad claimed that his kid floated away in a hot air balloon or some balloon. This was in the States. This is about 10 years ago. And the entire country was trying to get, you know, I ended up getting the guy on the phone and he talked to me. It was so weird. But there's an exhilaration in being able to say, and it's like about the ego and feeding the ego and saying. you know, part of that is the ego and the competitiveness of the industry and to to, to brag about it and blah blah blah, right. So there's that part of it that's exhilarating. And it's funny because when like bad news happens and you're, you know competing and there's a rush and there's an adrenaline, I think about what's happening now. You can't be on. For a year without being drained. So I think about a lot of my media friends who are still working, you know, covering COVID day in and day out, how exhausting that must be because for sure in the beginning, it was like, oh, there's a pandemic. This is kind of exciting, right? It is kind of exciting because it's something new. It's like learning and and and, and trying to get the numbers. And it's just interesting to watch how everything has evolved in the last year And to see a lot of media and a lot of people across the board, doesn't matter what industry you are in, talk about how hard it has been to be consuming this type of negative information for an entire year. So it 100% has an impact on you. I remember going to a store. Oh, I remember this was a, oh my goodness, this was a crazy story. So I was at CBC radio and it was, I was on the late shift. I was like doing a one to 10 shift and something came across the wires and or a local story. And it was somebody that I knew that got into an ad car accident. And I remember, um, it was a family friend, and she's paralyzed, she got paralyzed, she's still alive, but she pretty much almost lost her life. I remember going to hospital to visit her, actually, my one of my colleagues said, and I, I think I was about, you know, 10 years into covering, you know, all these sorts of things that happened in Toronto. And she said, "You know, it's it's okay to be upset. Like you're human too. Like you're you're human." And I remember taking I just think I left early. I think I just couldn't process it. But it's a tough industry to be part of. It is like going to war every day. I still have images of when I worked in New Brunswick, there was a, you know, young two young teenagers speeding and their car went up in flames and we had to go get the visuals, so we went to the car repair shop and This car was unrecognizable, burnt to a crisp. Like that still will stay in my head. I limit the amount of media. I know how ironic that seems. I limit the amount of media that I consume. Well, it's ironic because of what I do, right? Right.
1: Do. yeah do. <laughs> sorry yes I'm like given you as a human I'm like that's on that's not so ironic but I get it for your yeah. job that's yeah. weird for you for to my say job. Yeah.
0: so I do I do just limit it and the stories that I focus on right now are more like human interest stories and stories that are going to make change and stories that are going to shift the way that we think about women women of color BIPOC right that's what I I stay in my lane I don't look at numbers every day rising number counts and again, I'm privileged because I can, I am in my house. I am working. My kids, we can just pull them out of school and, you know, they're in virtual school. I'm privileged. I'm not going to deny that. It's a very unique situation.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought all of that up because I think it's um it's interesting because what I'm learning from COVID is like there's always like a human story. And I think it's really cool that you're sharing your experience with us because nobody actually understands what it's like to talk about this 24 seven, because we have the privilege and the ability to to not look and not talk about it. But if your livelihood depends on that, um, it's a different story. Something that you said too, is a part of your job was like looking for the problem. Do you find that, that, that like looking for the problem kind of bled into your personal life?
0: Mm, No, I wouldn't say so. I think journalism shapes the way you are as a person. And it's funny because I think you're always a journalist, no matter what you do. I'm always, I always have those, I always have the qualities that I have, and it just happened to fit into journalism. So, for example, my husband and I would be watching TV, and I'm sitting there doing an analysis on the portrayal of people in a commercial that's just something I do. So when I say it bleeds into my life, it's not that I'm looking for problems, but that kind of observation will just naturally come to me. That type of critical thinking is just something natural, super annoying to my husband, super annoying. Cause I can't just watch anything and enjoy it, but I'm watching something. And I'm like, are you for real? Did they really just position something like that and not think about the context or the optics or, you know, and for him, it's just he just wants to relax. It's just entertainment. But I think it's part of your DNA. When you were a journalist, it is part of your DNA.
1: Yeah. Do you find that you had that like curiosity too?
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> it is pretty much the the bane of my you know my husband and my mom like the bane of like that's the bane of their like my existence to them because I never stop asking questions. And it's funny. So my son, he's six and he is like me times a thousand, which is like wow. really draining sometimes because he does ask a lot of questions, but my other kids, not like that. That's so why I think I, it is really just part of your DNA. It's part of the personality, who you are.
1: Yeah. And kids ask the best questions, don't they? I love when they ask questions and I'm like, it's so good.
0: <laughs> you like that because you probably don't have a six-year-old asking you a thousand questions. a no. day. Like, hey.
1: But they ask good questions. Like, he, he probably asks good questions. Some. He does.
0: He does. All his questions are good. But do I have the energy to answer his questions? No. Brushing his teeth last night, he wanted to know about the sewer system and where the water goes and how it gets clean. Like, kid, it's nine o'clock. Let's go to bed. I'm tired.
1: Thank God for the internet. You can be like, Google it.
0: <laughs> I know, but I don't even have energy to do that because, like, the depth of his questions are just so, you know...
1: That's such a great question that we should all have a basic understanding of that. You know?
0: <laughs> like I'm
1: thinking about it now. I'm like, can I answer that? No, but I, I probably should. We <laughs> can answer that. Yeah. I don't know how it happens, but I'm grateful for it. You know, <laughs> That's so funny. Okay. So like, let's talk about the work that you're doing now. Cause you said that you are not on air anymore. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. You're not on air. So is that like a hard stop for you? Like I'm never going back or is that something you're like, like kind of flexible on? never going
0: back never going back to my news never going back to a newsroom so never. interesting the, the uh the fill that you get or the the satisfaction you get on air as a performer I get it now I teach classes I do live talks I did a live talk for a bank with a hundred people I can still pitch myself to the media I was on CBC radio last week I still get that outlet to perform and to satisfy that performance part of me but in terms of working on somebody else's schedule, battling a commute, not doing that. It's a hard stop. It was a hard stop when I had kids and not so much when I had my first kid because I wasn't really sure how this business was going to evolve. I had a vision, but I just didn't know how to get there. Had my second kid, got pregnant really quickly. The first kid we took forever and the timing was really uh, interesting story. So I was in a, at MetroLinx in a secure position and my husband and I were trying to get pregnant for three years. We got pregnant right when I got laid off, which was the irony of it. But it was the push to do what I'm doing, right? So, I had my second kid, and I'm, I'm I'll never forget. I was waddling, waddling down Front Street, trying to get to the CBC because I had gone back to uh, work in between the second child. Um, I wasn't running my business full time. And I was like, I'm done. Like, I I, I was toast. I was toast. The commute was just sucking the life out of me. If I lived downtown and that was practical, sure. It could be an option, but I, you know, I was done with the hours. There's never a nine to five. And even if there is, you're spending a couple hours on the commute. Uh, I always worked some sort of, like, I worked a one to eight shift, a two to 10 shift, a five to two shift. Like, there's never... Any normalcy. And when you have kids, you know, you want to have a little bit of normalcy. I can say like very proudly that I work a 10 to 5 now, Monday to Thursday, and that's it. If I work on the weekends or work outside of those hours, it's because I'm working on my business, not in my business. And it's because I want to do it and it's fun.
1: Yeah, which is so important that you recognize the difference just for your own like overall wellness. Because I think sometimes we can look at what someone's doing and in a way judge it. But if the reason and the like motivation, as you said, for like doing it are healthy, that's a game changer. And I'm sure you like teach that to the people that you're like working with now about like the healthy version or maybe like a healthier way to do things. <laughs> I don't know, this is just like an assumption of mine.
0: Well, I do uh PR mostly, but I have been dabbling in a little bit of business coaching for sure. And I may be expanding that in some different ways in the next couple years, but I work so hard just to get my schedule. So, I do say no a lot now. I do turn things down a lot and People don't understand why I can't just meet tomorrow without a schedule. I do time block. I do things very structured and I'm very focused in the time that I have and I give it my all. Uh, Probably I need to take a couple more breaks during the day. So it's not perfect, but... I'm glad the weather's getting better because the winter sucked. (laughs) Cold, it was miserable, doesn't make you want to go outside and have a walk, right? Yeah,
1: well, I went outside anyway. That was something I tried. And again, I don't have kids, so it's like different for me. But I went outside anyway, every day in the like winter, I pretty much made myself do that. And you know what, I actually enjoyed winter. Mm. like I never really like I'm a February baby so I had this affinity for winter because I was born there but I never truly could say I love winter and like meant it you know it was like I like winter I guess I'm supposed to because my birthday's there you know but this year I was like the way that the sun glistens off the ice like you can't I don't know there was just this like and that like nobody goes outside in the winter
0: it's beautiful it is beautiful. so it's (laughs) actually
1: beautiful I've never Oh my God. And I'm in downtown Toronto. Like I live in the heart of downtown Toronto. So I remember just like looking at the CN Tower when it's like, like lit up at night and it's just quiet.
0: Yeah. Well, I I experienced a lot of that because I was always. Yeah. I was going to say, you down, must know five in the morning. when yeah. There's nobody around.
1: You must know that. Right. And it's just, yeah, it was so cool. So I actually enjoyed winter. I couldn't say that before. <laughs> so I'm just looking for the things that are like positive positive in whatever scenario that we're in. Right. Cause we're all in this. Right. So it was just a way for me. And I, I i have to be outside. I've like recognized that about myself. People are like, I think here there's like nature. It's a huge part of what you do. I'm like, yeah. So for me, it's like an absolute necessity and something I've learned about my own mental health is that I need to go outside. So um, I'm sure you've experienced the like quietness of Toronto, which is so surprising because then you go there on a Sunday afternoon and it's like chaos. The energy is so different. And to have that like contrast so like close. I'll go like, you know, Monday morning or something. And it's so different. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, it seems fake, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but is so cool. Um, So if you mentioned that
0: you do PR work now, so what
1: exactly do you
0: mean by that? So I am a journalist, right? So at the end of the day, I say I do PR, but I say it because people wouldn't understand if I said I was a journalist doing PR. But I had a really hard time calling what I do PR for a really, really long time, a really long time. But pretty much the thing that I noticed when I was in the industry for so many years was that a lot of the experts that I was speaking with were male, older white men, and the female voice was not being represented or the the voice of people who identify as women were not being represented, even more so women of color, right? So my thing was if i'm going to start this in this company i'm going to really focus on helping women be the face of the expert in the media because it's 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 underrepresented we know it's underrepresented and i've come to the point of doing this for a couple years is that i realized that that problem and that issue is twofold so one first from the inside perspective Uh, journalists we have a database we have a database a go-to database for all our experts we're often on deadline we want to go to somebody who's reliable, who's quick. So what do you know, it's the same person that was there last time that we're grabbing, right? So that's part of it. The other part of it is that women do not have the tools to put themselves to the front of the line. And they don't have the confidence to put themselves at the front of the line, they are constantly telling themselves that their voice doesn't matter, because it's that voice that they've been told so many times over the years, and the way society has trained us. And if we don't see ourselves, why do we think that we could be the leading expert on mental health? Why do we think that we can be the leading expert on, you know, positive thinking? Why do we think that we we won't see that if we don't see ourselves represented. So I really do see it from both sides of of the coin. And I go into what I do with the women that I work with from a journalist perspective. So When I say I do PR, it's really helping women entrepreneurs get media exposure for their businesses. That is, in essence, what we do. The impact that we're making, though, is that we are shifting the way that the narrative is in mainstream media by being able to pitch voices, pitch stories, pitch angles that are not normally there, that are not in the database. And I'm coming up to I think over 50 women that I've helped land media, you know, we're in Q1. We've already done 27 interviews. Last year in total, I did 50 in total oh, last wow. year. Wow. And we're we are successful because of the angle and because of the story. We're not reinventing something. I tell people this all the time when I'm having discovery calls. I'm like, we're not going to reinvent something. We're just going to give a fresh perspective on the same story, something that the media hasn't covered, had they haven't talked about. And, you know, I think about one of my clients who is a mental health expert, she's done multiple interviews since January, from the perspective of black mental health, that is not a mainstream conversation, might be a conversation in February for black history month, might be a conversation when the outlets maybe focus on mental health, but it's not a mainstream conversation. So we actually uh, actually has an interview coming up on a on a national talk show about the role of the strong black woman, and I think that if you are savvy and you and you're listening and you're learning, we know you know in the past year there's that image of the of the black woman of that she's not supposed to feel pain and that she's also not supposed to be get get angry. She's not supposed to get upset. These are private conversations maybe that we have amongst our peers or our friends or people that we know, but these are not stories that are spoken about in mainstream media. I think about that. I think about when we sent that pitch and my client got booked immediately because it's a fresh perspective on something that the mainstream media has not been covering. So when we think about journalism, that's what I think about. I think about how are we going to tell the story in a different way? And in a way as well, that's going to make impact, I like to push the envelope a little bit. And I like to, you know, I don't like to be controversial in the sense where I'm going to, you know, stir the pot in a way that's going to stir in a negative way. But I like to push out of the comfort zone and really have people think critically about how we're represented and the stories we tell.
1: I love that. I think that's so important for so many reasons. And this year, I think a lot of interesting conversations have have like happened around race. The conversation around gender has been happening for some time. I think the like race is the like new part, and I would say newer, not new, because it's not new. It's very old actually, <laughs> but in a new way, I guess. My question to you is because you were talking about your like client, how she's a mental health expert. And then she got booked on a like national stage and she's talking about, you know, the like strong black female. Do you see this kind of I'm not sure what the term is, but this kind of like pigeonholing as like people of color are being asked to speak? Like, I'm not sure, like maybe she is speaking about mental health, but do you see where there could be a potential issue where people are just being asked to be on a panel because they of the color of their skin and not because of their expertise or the like knowledge that they have and like what problems that could present?
0: This is such an an interesting uh, question. So for sure, uh, you know, the feedback that I hear from clients is that they don't want to just be the expert on black issues because they are black. In this situation with this client, she's actually an expert on black mental health. And she does actually want to get the voice out About that. But I know what you mean. You know, we're both women of color and we don't want to just be selected because of the color of our skin. Our credibility has to come first before the way that we look. And from the outside perspective, people sometimes don't understand that. They probably see that it's like, well, you say you want to be represented, but now you want to be just based on your credentials. And I don't think it's, I think definitely a lot of us when the entire Black Lives Matter movement became prominent, I got reached out by a lot of people who wanted to feature me or chat with me or do a podcast interview. And my recommendation, which is what I've always done, I actually started a series of inclusive marketing webinars, again, just stuff that I see on TV and stuff that I've been talking about for decades that nobody else has paid attention to. But now all of a sudden, it's it's revolutionary, right? What I'm talking about And I always say that you always need to ask the appropriate questions, you know, ask who else is being represented? Who else is on your podcast? Sure, you want me to be a speaker. Am I being compensated? Is everybody else on the panel being compensated the same? making sure that you ask the right questions so that you are informed, but also it gives the person who's making the request uh, time to pause. And it really, in that interaction, it will really showcase, you know, are they doing this for performative reasons or are they really having attention to get better and tell better stories? It's very complicated, but I think it's, it's, you know, each situation, any BIPOC should be, asking the right questions and being okay to walk away and say no, if the opportunity doesn't fit, I've been invited to events and I was invited to one recently looked at this flyer. And I said, and I was talking about this right, right before the the movement actually took storm that I'm not going to attend because I don't see myself represented on the six women that you have there at this special event that your retreat or whatever, this virtual retreat, I'm not going to do it because I, I don't connect. I'm not going to connect. And some people may not understand that they may see that, well, you're just talking about it from a superficial level. And I said, but my stories, my experience, you know, who I am, the way I'm going to connect is I'm not going to feel like this is a safe space. All of those things matter. So it's really important to say no. And I also think that the media is very cognizant about making change and making shifts, but you know, those types of big shifts are gonna take time. I think most journalists know that they're not just gonna book somebody just because of the color of their skin. They are going to book somebody because of the quality of a story first. First and foremost, that's what they're always gonna do. But I think, let's say for example, there's an issue with about anti-Asian racism, are they going to you know, sit there and say, oh, we should get the next white expert from the University of Toronto, or should we get somebody from the Asian community? They are thinking more critically, and I think they understand the optics. And that shift is not going to happen overnight. It's going to take months. And also because when we think about who's in front of the camera versus who's producing and who's writing behind mm. the camera, that takes, we've been talking, we've been having that conversation for a long time that that inclusion and that di- that diversity and who's in power and who makes the final decision is not as inclusive as it is in front of the camera. So those types of shifts are gonna take time. Yeah. So have you
1: seen that shift already happening? Because I never thought about like I think I have, but not critically like in the way we're talking about now, that dynamic, who's in front of the camera versus who's behind the camera making these, you know decisions.
0: I think it's the same, you know, we've been having this conversation even in Hollywood where we talk about that, right? That's yeah. very similar conversation. And that's something that's very prominent in, in newsrooms across Canada. So, I mean, when I lived in New Brunswick, I was the only woman of color in the entire office of eight people, but also the demographics of that area. So how do you, you know, increase the diversity? There's different ways to do it. And I think that newsrooms are getting better at thinking critically about it. They can move a little faster in some cases, but you also have to understand change does take time sometimes.
1: Yeah. That's really fascinating. Cause like you're, you're right. We see it in like Hollywood and especially this past award show that was like so many barriers that were like broken, which is such a cool thing to see. But I never, but I don't know, I guess for me, I never really thought about it in a newsroom, but they have, and maybe this is just my like limited way of thinking, it's like more direct access because it's like a daily thing kind of with the like news. And so I never really thought about the perspective that they're putting out being filtered through the people behind the camera.
0: 100% because the, the structure in the newsroom is there's an editorial meeting. So what's going to make the meeting? Things that are in a certain lens. If you don't have enough, well, there was something really funny recently. Oh, Oh, this was so funny. So I won't name the network, Cardinal official, you know, who he yeah, is. Toronto legend. <laughs> yes. Somebody had posted on the on one of the tickers, the ticker, which is the the caption right underneath the person who's speaking on camera, right? So they had put uh Jamaican slang and it said something like, No blood clot Astra in AstraZeneca. It was that vaccine, right? But in that in that language. Like, because oh AstraZeneca magazine was being, you know, people were saying that it was causing blood clots, but because the way, the way that it was worded, it said no blood clot. So it looked like, oh, everything's clear. Cause in Jamaican slang, the patois, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, so Cardi did this really <laughs> hilarious Instagram. And I said, and I said to one of the reporters, um, and I said, you know what, that's the result of not having enough diversity in the newsroom. Somebody should have caught that that's a cultural thing that somebody could have picked up on and it just became like this this viral meme <laughs> that's what i say like the impact <laughs> and it's so slight it's so slight how do you hire for that you know what i mean it's more yeah. about how, how do you make this the newsroom inclusive how do you make things inclusive you know it's a lot of things that i think about often often I yeah think so about who's at
1: that often. table makes a difference who's taking up those seats because like you said like, I'm not Jamaican, but I would have definitely picked up on that, you know, yes. because of the Patois, right? Like, yes. I understand it. So yes. I would have picked up on that. And I'm definitely not Jamaican. So yes. <laughs> so interesting. But like West Indian, we have our own like little things that, you know, you, you would have picked up on. And again, do I go out there in the world being like, I'm a Guyanese woman? Not all the time, but it is part of my heritage, right? And people look at me and I don't know if it's the same in like media, but in healthcare, it was like, the first question is like, where are you from? What's your background? And I get that it was because I lived in a very small town in B- in uh, BC, Kamloops. Was there a lot of people who look like me? There were some, I wasn't the only one, but I, and I know that that's their way of making conversation. And it like, it's supposed to be to like, welcome me to the area and feel inclusive, but sometimes it was just the way people asked. Mm-hmm. You know, like it was the tone and sometimes you could tell they were just so naive and they were like genuinely curious, you know, and it was the energy I could pick up. And sometimes it was just like, well, where are you from? Like, you're not from here. It's like, what? Like, you know, Canadian, like what is Canadian now? Like when you think about Canadian, because I am first generation Canadian. And when you think about that, what comes to mind, you know, mm. it's really
0: interesting. When you're, when you're West Indian. It's hard when you're West Indian. People don't understand the West Indies is made up of so many different races and cultures. They don't understand that. I mean, when I was in the field and I was working for Omni News and I was working ironically for the South Asian News because of the way I looked and it was the only English speaking show on the, at the station, I would go into the field and we would interview people from Iran, from Sri Lanka, from Pakistan, from India, everywhere where the... Indian diaspora is and I would constantly be asked mostly by men where are you from and are you sure you're not from this place are you sure you're not here are you sure you're not there questioning your identity (laughs) it's annoying after a while right it's annoying after a while I think in Toronto you know I don't really come up against that as much but I'm very aware of how I look and I know that I still am very conscious of how I look and how I present myself depending on the situation one of those things i mean it's second nature
1: yeah it's i've i don't know if you find yourself in like this position because it's like it's like hard to describe but at the same time i want people to be aware and more educated and like know that there are people who are brown and not indian in the sense that i'm like from india like obviously like generations ago yes but i think people just just assume curry is curry and i'm like what no. (laughs) So many different kinds of curry. And then there's so many different kinds of West Indian curry. Like you have to know these things, you know? And it's like a joke that I say with my friends, but it's true. Right. So it got annoying for me. And then I also was like, well, I want to help people be aware of these things, you know, and maybe they've never heard of the word Guyana before. And maybe the first time they like hear it is from my mouth. So I found myself in a bit of a weird position where I was annoyed. And sometimes if you caught me on a day, uh, on a bad day, it wouldn't be great. And some days I'd have more energy to be a little bit more empathetic, but it was something that I honestly had to struggle with. So I know you probably have that in a a different way
0: in media. I can think of some certain situations. I mean, when I talked about Omni television and when I lived out in the East coast, I would have people in the newsroom say, Hey, do you know so-and-so sing in Vancouver? And it just blew my mind that they thought that I was related to the one brown person they knew across the country. So you get things like that, or I had somebody when I was out there and she was actually working for WestJet and she was from Calgary. And we all went to the beach one day and made friends. And she asked me if I actually had to put on sunscreen. Was that a thing that brown people needed to do? And I was just like, wow, what planet am I on? (laughs) So, I mean, I feel like it seeps into other places. I think now that I'm more cognizant of it, I always have said, I don't notice my color until it's not in the room that I walk into. But I don't walk around thinking, hey, I'm a Guyanese brown Indo-Caribbean. I don't think that every time I leave my house. But when I walk into a room and I'm not there or I'm in a situation, then it que- makes me question my color. I've been seeing a lot more You know, situations in the medical system when I had my kids in hospital, things that happened to me that I question whether or not it was because of the color of my skin. In the education system already with my kids, I'm seeing things happen which I again question if I was an older white man, would this be happening to me? You know, you go into a store. Well, we haven't gone into a store, I haven't gone to a store for over a year, but. If you're going into a certain store, you also dress and look a certain way in order to get the service that you need to get. That is not a secret to anybody. And if it's actually true, yeah. And if you if it is, you gotta wake up. (laughs) So I think it, it touches every corner of our lives. And I wouldn't say it's concentrated in media. I was really, for the most part, worked in pretty good environments where the racism wasn't there for the most part.
1: Yeah. And actually you're bringing up this like memory. So I went to chiropractic college in upstate New York and it was a really tiny town like Seneca Falls and they have a lot of Mennonites and they ran this store and the food there was so good. It was so good. And they're like, just just their stuff was so good. And it was like the like local store. So we all went. And I remember I went with my friend and we just become friends and we got really close really quick. And so we went shopping and I remember we were putting things in the conveyor belt and I was like, oh, crap, I, I, I just want to go grab something. And, I'm, and then I came back. And you, you know when you come back and a situation's awkward and you're like, what did I just run into? I like came back and it was so awkward. And I asked her as we were driving back, I was like, what happened? And she's like, nothing, like nothing happened. And I'm like, no, something happened and now you're acting weird. Like you have to tell me what happened. So she's like, okay, so when you left, the like cashier asked me how I could be friends with you. And I was like, what do you mean how you could be, what? And I didn't get it. I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, I think she was implying your like, you're like skin color. And I was like, what? And I like for a second was like, I was so dumbfounded. Like I literally was like, what? Like to your point, I don't go out there being like, I'm a brown woman, blah. Like I didn't, and she didn't think anything of it. She was like, I didn't get it either. They had to say it to me again. And then she was like, oh, my God, like, I never considered you like a brown person. It was just like, you're a person and we get along. And she's still like my very good friend to this day. But I remember that being one of the first moments I was like, I lived in a different country. There's a bit of c- culture shock going on. And I need to be more aware of who I am in this place. And not because I'm self-conscious of it. It's just because of other people. So that was like my very first, I remember, like, wake up call. And that was like in 2013. And it's really interesting and really fascinating to see the students at that school change where I'm not the only brown person in my class. I, I, I definitely wasn't then. There were like a few of us, you know, and we could talk and we could understand because we were in a culture that was very confused about what was going on. And it wasn't just like the Mennonites. It was just people in the town weren't used to seeing that. And so the food changes, right? Like the food is going to be different if the culture is not there to support that. You know what I mean? So even like realizing that, like I'd come back to Toronto, be like, oh, thank God. like I can get other kinds of foods, like getting curry there, like no way. But by the time we left, there was like a good Chinese place and there was a few other options, you know, it's all just very different. And so I'm just bringing that up because I totally see what you mean. I don't think it's just in media, but I think it's also like what they see. If they're not exposing themselves to other things, like they don't even see that, and it's so interesting because I went there, I like I kept going back there. I was like, I don't really like this is not going to change. You're the only star here, and it's so funny because towards the end of my time there, I would love their like sandwiches, and they changed and they would get to know my order, and they'd be like, Oh, it's going to be done in like ten minutes. You don't have to even fill out the thing, and like they became really friendly, because I was just like persistent with, I'm going to be here and I pay the same money, like everybody else, I pay you money. I'm going to treat you well, even though they didn't even treat me poorly. They just didn't know how to be right. Like you could tell it was pure ignorance, but once they started to see us and we shop together all the time, once they like start seeing that you just treat people the way you want to be treated, like literally basic fundamental thing. We all say it really changed and like shifted things. And I think they honestly just didn't know. I just tell you that because it just re- like reminded me of that kind of eye-opening experience and being aware as I moved around, because I moved around a lot, of having – that's kind of one of the first things you run into. And I remember my parents having to have that conversation with me. I have to present myself in, as you said, a certain way. They had that conversation with me because people look at me and they're like, I'm a short, small chiropractor. I remember men, this was men being like, what can you do for me? I I remember one guy, like he like literally just looked at me and was like, what can you do for me? (laughs) that's what he said to me and I was like oh like you'll see and it was kind of like that was sort of the attitude I had though in life like I had to prove I had to be smarter or use intelligence to prove I could do it or something you know what I mean and then dress a certain way so those are challenges that I don't think everybody has to go through necessarily and honestly I'm I'm At this point, I'm kind of happy I've like learned the lessons and I really love who I am. And I couldn't say that for a very long time. And so I think that's a part of this journey too, is like really learning and to accept yourself at the end of the day, you know? And so I think all the experiences, at least that I've shared, and I hope the ones you've shared, I think we can say we've come down to that place. And I love that you're, you're helping other people see the value in themselves, right? but beyond color of their skin and just in who they are, because that's actually, I think, a shared mission that we have. I could probably keep talking to you, but I wanted to just ask you two questions that I end every interview with. You've explained your journey through media, which I think is so fascinating. So I would love for you to tell us, what is your relationship to success today like?
0: The relationship to success, I would say, is more internal than it is external. I definitely lead with a different focus and don't get caught up in the external as much as I do in the internal, right? So what's going on inside, I use myself as my navigation system more so now than I've ever used in my entire life. And I think if I had learned that in my 20s, I wouldn't have been caught up in having the comparison or something we talked about the very beginning of the interview, you know, when people tell you you're not good enough, well, am I good enough? Yeah, I probably would have had that confidence. So for me, success uh, is internal. And a part of that success is also how am I making impact is what I'm doing, shifting things. And I also think, Do I, am I fooling myself? Sometimes I wonder, am I fooling myself to think that you're making, that I'm making change? I do still question that because when you're in journalism and you're on the other side of it, that's how you get caught up in all of that because you're there looking for the conflict, looking for the resolution, getting caught up in the exclusives and the high because you're making an impact. So We are in the middle of a pandemic, and I think that sometimes I have, in the past year, gotten caught up, got have gotten caught caught up with exerting my energy, thinking I'm making an impact. Whereas I realize now, self care is probably more important, and that doesn't mean that I don't care about what's not happening outside of me. But like I mentioned, I'm not looking at numbers every day. I'm not absorbing things that are not going to move me forward for my five-year goal and my five-year vision.
1: And if people wanted to find out more about you or if they're interested in PR (laughs) or from a journalist perspective, how can they find out more about you?
0: I am at she'snewsworthy.com. That's my website. I'm also active on social media on LinkedIn as well as on Instagram. I'm at she'snewsworthy there as well. I do post a lot of political commentary. Uh, right now, we've been sharing stories about the whole Rachel Hollis debacle, and it's amazing how much engagement that I see from those types of conversation, which gives me the insight to say that these are conversations that need to be had. And people do want to learn more about it. And people do agree versus me posting something about PR, right? The Engagement is more there when there's a controversy about white supremacy.
1: Interesting. I actually don't know about that. So I'm going to go find out. (laughs) Anyway, thank you so much for being here today. Have a great day, everyone. Such a good one. I really enjoyed recording that with Jen. She's such a professional. So Jen, I want to say thank you so much for being on the show. Such a pleasure to have you. And I want to thank you, our listeners, for being here. We touched on a lot of really important topics Yeah. I mean, there's so much more I could, I could ask her about, but I think it's really important to be conscious of these things. As she said, uh, be conscious of what you're, um, consuming and then also be conscious of how you're like, how you are speaking about the, the things that, that really matter to you. Yeah. I learned a lot from this episode, so I hope you did as well. Jen, thanks again for being on the show. I also wanted to um ask you that if you are interested in hearing more things like this, I would love for you to let me know. I'm going to keep asking you because I want to keep hearing back from you. I love hearing back from our listeners from all over the world. It blows my mind the like different countries that I'm hearing from. It's it's so awesome. So please let me know what you think. If there's anything, any topics you want to see on the show or if you have anybody that you think would be a great fit for the show, let me know. Yeah, and then leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We absolutely love them and appreciate every single one. So until next week, where we have another great interview on Monday, I hope you be well. Stay well and make it a great day.